Well, good morning. Oh, okay, the notes are still there. It's a blessing. Um, I wonder what the best piece of news you had in the last week was. It's not just an empty question. I want you to turn to your neighbour, your neighbour, your neighbour, or whoever's nearest you, and tell them you've got, it's going to be, you know, like a teacher minute, so some length of time. Um, You've got about a minute to share the best piece of news you had in the last week with the person next to you or near you or around you. Go. I mean, from from the talking going on, it would seem that there has been at least some good news that people have had in the last week. I'd love to hear about it um, af- after, after the service. Let's, we're not doing a show and tell just now. Um, but I wonder what it was. Maybe it was some personal news. Maybe, um, maybe it was a headline that you saw on the news that just really lifted your spirit. Um, it, it might have been a story of transformation that you heard from someone where their life was, was turned around. Maybe someone you know, maybe someone you've never met before. Or maybe it was the confirmation email from Alice when you booked on to St. Thomas Festival. <laughs> Happening at the end of August, everyone. Um, I don't know whatever, what it was, but whatever it was, the thing about good news is that it is hard to keep to yourself. Hopefully, that's what you experienced just now rather than a, an awkward silence where you knew there was something good and, and you didn't want to share it. Mostly, when we have some good news, um, we, we want to share it. It only gets better when you share it. More on that story later, but um, let's get into the Bible now. We are going to read from Colossians, um, which is a letter written by Paul, one of the early church leaders, uh, to the Christians in a place called Colossae, um, which is in modern-day Turkey. Now, while you're doing that, as a side note, while you're finding that in your Bibles or on your phones, it's going to be chapter one, um, I often imagine that the places in the New Testament, in the Bible, where these letters are written to, places like Colossae, I imagine them being the sort of first century equivalent of big cities like Newcastle. Um, uh, But actually, Colossae was a once great, now very much second-rate market town whose neighbours were far more important and significant than it was. It doesn't even exist now. You can go there, but most people can't find it because it's just a grassed-over mound. But a guy called Epaphras brought the good news of Jesus there, And that made all the difference. That's what has made the Colossian church a central part of the faith journey of billions and billions of Christians throughout time, including us today. That is the difference that the good news of Jesus makes. Takes the completely insignificant and on the way out and turns it into something unbelievable. So, Colossians, chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 15 and go all the way through to the end of the chapter. Here we go. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together. I didn't think this was going to be a tongue twister. And as he is the head of the body, the church, 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Uh, Sorry, I will read that again. Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of the Lord, and we respond, thanks be to God. Well, let me take a drink, because that was much harder work than I was expecting. What a passage. This is often referred to as one of the greatest and most profound Christological high points in all of Scripture which essentially means that Paul, the guy writing this letter, is expressing in an almost kind of lyrical, song-like way the absolute supremacy, the absolute topness of Christ in and over all things. That first section um, of the passage we just read, uh, from 15 to 23, in that we hear about how Jesus is the God of our salvation, the God of us being saved, that Jesus is the guide to our salvation and that he is the enduring good in our salvation. In the second part, from 24 through to the end, though really that second bit continues on into the next chapter, it's basically Paul introducing himself to the Colossians, letting them know a bit about what he is about. He describes that this Jesus is the good news worth suffering for, that it's good news worth serving, good news for everyone, and good news worth sharing. Now, Paul doesn't have a pre-existing personal context with the church that he's writing a letter to, so he's introducing himself, he's giving a good account of himself at the same time, he's explaining why he is sound, why this is what he believes, and that's surely what they believe. He is setting some groundwork, putting in place some core principles about what the basis of their shared faith is and why Paul is interested in them at all because of what the letter's about. Uh, Now, this is a slight tangent, but I think it's important for us as a church today. If there's a letter in the Bible, then you can presume that it was written for a reason. 
often we forget the reason because we get too interested in, in what's in the letter, in the content of it. Um, but it's normally written to address something at the destination or, or with the recipients of the letter. Sometimes it's super easy to work out what that is, um, and the problems are made known by the person writing the letter, they state them. Um, other times, you kind of have to tease it out, um, out of what the letter says to try and combat the problem it's recognized. In Colossae, some false teachers had sprung up, and they're teaching heresies to the Colossians. Heresy. What is that? Well, heresy is just a word that means a teaching or a belief that is not accepted by the church when it's measured by scripture, the Bible. In other words, it's a wrong belief. The opposite of what we call orthodoxy, which again is another long word, which just means right thinking in Greek. As a culture today, we love heresy. We love it. It's, it's our absolute main desire in, in most of our culture today. Where this word heresy comes from is rooted in the Greek for choice. The idea that choosing your own opinion based on what's right for you rather than the measured biblically faithful conclusions of the church, and by that I mean both the Church of England and just the whole people of God, is the idea that choosing what's right for you is always better than the measured and biblically faithful conclusions of the church. Now, even saying that makes me think twice because I'm thinking surely what I'm saying is wrong because surely choosing what you believe is exactly right, right? Shouldn't we be able to and be encouraged to choose whatever opinion is right to us? That, that personal sovereignty, that concept that each of us is the most important thing in the world, is both impossible, because take a moment to think about if I was the most important thing in the world and you were the most important thing in the world. There's not enough space, even for two of us to exist. Not only is it impossible, but it's not what we read in the Bible. It seems nice, but it just doesn't wash. Obviously, a choice has to be made at some point, but within the Christian worldview, that choice is to follow Jesus, and in doing so, to submit to what is right and true as defined by God. In that sense, we make one choice, and that makes every other choice for us, which is actually remarkably freeing. Jesus is the most important one in our life, and it is his opinion that matters most, not ours. Um, let's look again then at the passage. Let's see this first section. It begins at verse 15. Do follow on in your Bibles if you've got them there. Um, now the subtitle in most Bibles, which as you probably know, those subtitles are not actually part of the original text, but they're useful and often, often helpful. Sometimes not so much. This one is, is great. It's basically got it. Jesus is supreme, better than everything. Paul has just been expressing earlier on in the first little section of um, this letter how he rejoices, how he's filled with gladness that the Colossians know Jesus, that they've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son that God loves and in whom they have redemption, the forgiveness of their sins. In essence, that is the Christian message, the good news, that we can all be rescued from our darkness and brought into God's light. 
that the wrongness, the sin in our lives is something that has been dealt with and no longer needs to hold us. If only we can accept God's forgiveness in Jesus. So who is this Jesus, the king in whose kingdom we now live? Well, in verses 15 to 17, we see that Jesus is the God of our salvation. Jesus is the very embodiment of God in verse 15. Sometimes we can be tempted towards thinking that Jesus is more of a guy than a God. We get interested in his human side, which is fully what he is, but we forget. We, we start thinking of him as relatable and nice and friendly and comfortable. And he is all those things, but he's also the supreme ruler of the entire universe. I have just seen in my notes, I wrote wowzers there, um, which doesn't really fit with the patter, but, but wowzers, the supreme ruler of the universe. Yes, a human, but also God. Verse 17, not only that, he's not just a glorious or superior God, but one with the strength to hold the entire fabric of existence together. I regularly hold, uh, sorry, I regularly struggle just to hold individual parts of my own life together. I don't know about you, but in Jesus, he holds everything together and he does so successfully. He is God and he saves us. In verse 18, Uh, through to 20, we see that God is the guide to our salvation. This is a God that went ahead of us. If the church, the Christians worldwide and throughout history are a body, then Jesus is our head and we go head first. He died to sin before us. He died because of sin before us. And once dead, he was born again to new life before us. But in all those things, we can follow him. Jesus is the guide to our salvation. There is no better way to navigate life, to experience the freedom of being saved from sin than to have Jesus as your guide. As the church, we go headfirst into life. Jesus goes before us, the best guide you could possibly have. Every pain that you have experienced Jesus knows it. Every joy that you've known, Jesus has experienced it too. Every part of human existence, Jesus knows it all. And yet, the complete fullness of God dwells in him. Even so, he pays the price of death, so we don't have to. And even though he doesn't have to, he is our guide and he saves us. In verse 21 and 20 to 23, we see that Jesus is the enduring good of our salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's read those verses again. So 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the good news. This is the good news that you heard 
and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. If once Christians, we stop placing our hope, which biblically hope is a sure expectation of the future, not just a wishy-washy maybe dream. If we stop placing our hope in Jesus, then we forget the central purpose of our being. We might put our faith in, in any manner of other things. It might be money or friendship or significance at work, maybe academic achievement, but these are not the goods in our good news. We place our faith in Jesus. He is the enduring good in the good news that saves us. Now, there was a time in my life when I was broken and directionless. I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I didn't know where to do it, and I had an injury that meant that I couldn't trust my body to do what I wanted it to do. I had a lot of time on my hands, which I was mostly wasting, uh, and someone suggested that I should bring my problems to Jesus. I didn't think it was a helpful suggestion, um, but through prayer and reading my Bible, I felt such a deep comfort, and yet it left me feeling very challenged to make some changes in my life. Many years down the road, I find myself with purpose in my life and a complete assurance of my identity and my worth. I wonder if you have a story like that. Now, that was a deliberately vague summary of a real set of events in my life about 12 years ago. And you'll notice that it's a story with a beginning and a middle and an end, and it all centered around an encounter with Jesus. My hope is that one or two of you at least are wondering what happened or thinking, tell, tell me more. I wanna hear the rest of the story. If that is you, then come find me afterwards. I'm not gonna do it now. Um, but I would love to tell you the story it's an amazing story. God did an amazing thing in my life. We love hearing about good news. And when we hear a little bit, we just want more. I love telling people that story because it's good news and you have to share good news. Which conveniently takes us back to verse 24. Now Paul is telling us, what makes him tick? He's writing this letter to Colossian. He wants to give them some advice, but he's telling them why he's so interested in doing that. It won't surprise you to know that what makes him tick is the good news of Jesus. Verse 24, Jesus is good news worth suffering for. Paul begins by expressing that this is the cause not just to endure hardship, for, but to rejoice in that hardship. How many of us can truly say that we rejoice in the difficulties of life, especially if they seem to be caused by following Jesus? I think that often makes me even less likely to rejoice when I feel like it's because I'm a Christian that I'm having problems. I feel like surely of all the things, that should be the thing that gets me out of trouble, not into more of it. Um, the eagle-eyed amongst you will perhaps have spotted uh, that this is a potentially contentious verse. 
I'm going to unpack that a little bit because I'll get in trouble if I don't with at least three people I've spoken to already. Um, Paul seems to be saying in this verse, verse 24, that there is something lacking, something not enough in Jesus' death on the cross. He says, I fill up my, in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. And at first that does seem a little bit weird, um, but in his own historical context, so where Paul is writing and the world that he's in at the time, he is talking about Christ's afflictions, which um, should bring to our mind the concept of the messianic woes, um, noting many blank faces, which is good, because I'm going to explain it. Basically, that's the idea that history is split into two ages, the old age and, inventively, the new one. Um, the new age begins with the coming of Jesus, with his birth, um, but doesn't really get cracking until the second coming. So Jesus has lived and died and now lives again and will return, as we say in the creeds, to judge the living and the dead, or the lively and no the quick and the dead, as it says in the old version. Um, but we experience the messianic woes, which are kind of like the birth pains of the new age. Um, so it's this idea that it is heralded by the sufferings of God's people, the church. Paul is rejoicing in his suffering because the very fact that he is suffering is a sign of the good news of Jesus. And the action of his suffering is surely heralding the second coming and the end of it all, the time when we get to spend every moment of our life with Jesus. Not only is it worth suffering for, but that is a suffering that is a source of rejoicing. If that doesn't make sense, come talk to me afterwards. It, it is very simple, I promise. Um, verse 25, we see though, that Jesus is good news, not just worth suffering for, but worth serving. Paul is a servant of the church, the body of Jesus on earth. What God, has been, what God has commissioned Paul to do is to share the good news of Jesus in full. It's worth serving for this good news. And then verse 26 and 27, this is a good news that's open to all. Paul makes it super clear here that Jesus' salvation, the good news that we're so excited about, is for everyone, not just the traditional people of God. In this context, that traditional people of God are the Jews, but I wonder who that could be for us today. Uh, maybe it's the do-gooders, or perhaps the middle class, traditional people of God. Maybe it's just the ones that know how to sit through a long sermon. Maybe they are the traditional people of God. Don't worry, it's beginning to come into land. Um, Jesus is so open to all that in verse 27, for those who know him, he even dwells in them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We can be assured of our secure salvation by the very presence of God's Holy Spirit within us. Now verse 28, and also verse 25, but we already did that. Jesus is good news worth sharing. The gospel is good, but it won't surprise you to hear me say any of that. But it doesn't truly reach its potential. It doesn't exist in its fullness until it is also news. 
The gospel is good, but it does not reach its potential until it is also news. The gospel must be proclaimed in order to be the gospel. If a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. Who cares? What tree? If you don't tell anyone about it, it doesn't matter. There's no difference made at all whether it makes a noise. If you don't tell anyone about it, it might be good, but it's not news. The good news needs to be news to be truly good. Because if it's not news, it won't affect anyone. No one will hear about it. So, Jesus is the God of our salvation. Jesus is the guide to our salvation and he is the enduring good in our salvation. Jesus is good news. Good news worth suffering for. Good news worth serving. Good news for everyone. And good news worth sharing. As I invite the band back up, I wonder if you have a story of encounter with Jesus yourself. I wonder if, if you do, what was the last time you shared that? Who was the last person you shared that with? My story earlier is based on something called a six-word story. It's a simple way to help you place your experiences in a brief story with a beginning, a middle, and an end where it all centers around an encounter with Jesus. I don't know if you remember this, but I was broken and directionless, but on encountering Jesus, I felt comfort and challenge. And through that encounter, I was left with purpose. No, I've done the wrong number of fingers. Purpose and assurance. I wonder if you have a six-word story that you could tell someone today. It may be that some of us here have just been hit by the awesome supremacy of Christ again. That you've re-encountered Jesus as God today. If that's you, come and tell someone. Come to the front here. There's going to be some people to the side, to your right, my left, um, who would love to pray for you. Come and pray and be prayed for. It may be that today is the encounter in the middle of your story. It may be that you just met Jesus today. You just heard about how he makes everything sad come untrue. Perhaps you've heard the news, the good news of Jesus, and all you want to do is say yes. Well, let's say yes together now. So stand up with me. Even if you've done this uh, a million times before, we can always say yes again. We renew our commitment to Jesus. We renew our yes. Let's pray together. We say, God, I am broken and I can't fix myself. I see the brokenness in the world and I want to be saved from it. I'm sorry for where I put myself first, where I go my own way, forgetting you. I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me. 
Thank you, Jesus, that you have dealt with all of the wrong things in my life once and for all. I want to go your way. I want to follow you and to know you better. Lead me, Lord, today and for the rest of my life. prayed that do come forward and and tell someone if you're not happy to come forward go find someone with a lanyard or really someone without a lanyard um, and tell them it's good news that's worth sharing let me pray holy spirit come fill us now inspire us to know the good and to share the news. Remind us of those stories of encounter. May we have another encounter today, tomorrow. And give us the wisdom and courage to share those encounters. we begin to sing and worship again let's dwell on what God has done in our lives maybe you can think of six words that you could structure a 30 second story around people will want to hear it we love good news you don't have to get all the information in just enough to tickle thank you that you have done such great things in every person in this room's life God be here now with us and accept our